power on. We are looking into space, into towards a galaxy, a giant galaxy, 500 billion billion light years away from us. Sorry, 500 billion billion kilometers away from us. Very big galaxy with, which was suspected to host a supermassive black hole in the very center. 101 years ago, someone discovered a streak of light, which is plasma shooting out of the center of the Milky Way, marking the supermassive black hole. I never believed that this black hole was as big as people said until we saw that. This is the nucleus of the galaxy M87, and this is the first ever image of a black hole. You have many, probably seen many, many images of black holes before, but they were all simulations or animations. And this is so precious, precious to all of us because this one is finally real. What you're looking at actually looks like a ring of fire. And it's actually created by the force of gravity, by the deformation of space-time, where light actually goes around a black hole almost in a circle. And that creates that circle that we see here. You may wonder how this image was made in the first place. Event Horizon Telescope data is like incomplete uh, puzzle set. Uh, we actually only see a pieces of the real true image. And then we have to fill in these gaps of these missing pieces to construct the physically possible uh, image that is actually matching uh, our data. This is actually a very difficult process. Therefore, the imaging process has been split into several uh, phases. At first, at the very beginning, we were working on this imaging completely alone, each of us. This was a remarkable, almost life-changing experience to see an image of a black hole shadow popping out on the screens of our ordinary laptops. Next, we formed uh, independent teams uh, that work completely in the, independently from each other to repeat the imaging process. This was a very necessary, important step because we wanted to get rid of the human bias as much as possible. And in the last phase, which took the longest time, the imaging was done very, very carefully uh, via very careful scientific analysis. So what have we learned from, from the images, and not just from the images, also from the data that are, that are, that are lying, down, lying underneath this image? So first of all, we have observed this source for four days. Over the uh, four days, uh, the ring is there, the, the image looks ex almost exactly the same. We have also measured the size of this ring. Over four days, the size is always the same. It doesn't change. We have also measured the contrast between the ring itself and the central darkness. And the contrast is as large as it is, as it is expected for the black hole shadow. But there is one more very peculiar thing about this ring. It's not really a full ring. It actually is much br uh, brighter at the bottom side. Why is that? Our models told us immediately that this kind of structure can be only formed if the source, if something in the source is rotating. What is rotating? It could be the black hole, but also the matter around it, or both can be rotating. 
At the moment, the images are not yet sharp enough to actually est estimate or calculate ex the exact speed of this rotation. But these images give us a sense of the direction of the rotation, which is a clockwise in the sky. So to summarize, our images, our data tell us that we are looking at the shadow of the black hole, which has been predicted by the, all the models of the black hole that we have developed over the last few decades. Earth 2019. Dominant species, human. Galactic potential rating, zero. Cultural affiliation, combination of government and global businesses, corporatism, legacy institution. Species still conservative, superstitious, and religious. Ecologically illiterate, largely unaware of cosmological foundation of love. Level of technological dependence is disturbingly higher than the galactic standard. Species distracted and behavior controlled by technology companies. System error. Advanced concepts detected beyond normal human levels. New galactic potential rating, over 9000. Transmission type, podcast. Host, The Man of Tomorrow. Brian Sovereign. Source, Sovereign Tech. Never fear, baby. The man of tomorrow is here for you with Sovereign Tech every single week, even if sometimes it's a day or two late. Uh, but man, <laughs> well, you know, if I sound a little, maybe a little sniffly or something like that, you, you know, I almost never get sick. I've told this story before about like how my body temperature is actually many degrees lower than the average human being. I'm quite the mutant, you know. But anyway, I'm not here to talk about that. But, uh, you know, when you're living... <laughs> When you're rocking that that rock and roll lifestyle, as I have been as late, um, <laughs> you know, you don't get a whole hell of a lot of sleep, and that'll get anybody, regardless of what mutant abilities they may have. But regardless of that, an incredible thing uh, last week, an incredible picture, you heard the opening audio there, uh, of the picture of a black hole, like, and, and in many ways... You know, you got to understand this, opening this up. Uh, we got some great stuff to talk about this week on Sovereign Tech. Uh, but in many ways, this is like the very first real evidence, like hardcore evidence that we have um, of black holes. I remember when I was a kid in the 80s. In fact, I remember like Isaac Asimov had this like children's book series of exploring the universe and all this. And I just ate them up. I, I read every single one of these things when I was like in the you know third grade or something. And man, like I, at the time, you know, and, and I guess this would have been 19, I don't know, 1987, something around there. I mean, you know, black holes have been theorized actually for a good couple hundred years, uh, whether they were called black holes or not is another thing. Um, of course it fit in well with Einstein's, you know, theory of general relativity and so on. Um, but in a lot of ways, black holes being, 
I mean, when you, in, when you use the word theory in science, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's hypothetical, right? Like it, it means theory has a very serious connotation. Like, no, this exists. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just a theory. I, it gets so fucking annoying when people are like, oh, it's the theory of evolution. That means they haven't proven it. No, 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 no. It, it gets the moniker in science of theory because in many ways it has been right. So anyway, but I remember where, when black holes were still kind of conjectural, shall we say? Uh, I, I mean, I, I really do. I, and, and I know that, you know, since the sixties and so on, and I mean that they've more or less been accepted. And in the seventies, I mean, you already had, you know, Stephen Hawking was, uh, you know, laying out his spiel about them, you know, with Hawking radiation, and all this, but they were still kind of, you know, in, in many ways conjectural. And now, I mean, no, like this is, this is as hard, this is as hard as it gets. Uh, of course the picture being done, uh, by the, it was at the EHT, right. Uh, the event horizon telescope, which was really just this like array of, and this global project, uh, from 2017, where they were looking at this one, uh, spot in, in the, you know, and it was at the Messier, uh, they mentioned it in the audio. Yeah. The Messier 87, uh, galaxy. And, I mean, just fucking incredible. It took two years to put that picture together. Two years. This was in 2017 when they started this and the amount of data. Holy fuck. In fact, you watch some of the video uh, of, you know, the whole thing going down. It's pretty cool to see some, uh, see some Ubuntu laptops uh, or some Ubuntu computers, I should say, uh, rocking, you know, around, uh, the, well, the EHT isn't necessarily like one place, right? But in any case, helping put this picture together. And it is stunning. I think this is one of next to, uh, I suppose this is one of like the three, in my opinion, one of the three most important pictures uh, ever taken by humanity. Uh, the other two, I would say, would be from 82, which the uh, Venera 13, the Soviet probe uh, that landed the spacecraft that landed on Venus and took a picture of the surface of Venus and was like transmitting data for two fucking hours from Venus. And we know the hell hole. And I don't say that in a good way. The hell hole that, that Venus is, you know, to be able to get a picture of it is mind mind boggling, you know, uh, to, to consider that. So there's that. And then of course there was the, the, the picture from Cassini, which had the uh, sunlight reflection on a lake on Titan. Of course, it was a methane lake, but still the lake, a lake on Titan. I think those are three of the most incredible pictures, if not the most incredible pictures that humanity has, you know, of course made the, the, you know, the robotic craft, uh, to be able to take those pictures. Um, I mean, well, of course, granted the EHT isn't robotic craft. That's a, that's a telescope array, but you get my point. Uh, amazing you know, to finally see a black hole. I mean, and the ramifications for this in the realm of physics, I mean, this is going to be felt for a very, very long time, uh, but just a stunning picture. Um, I, I'm going to try and put it in the show notes for this episode because, uh, ever since we switched over to Podbean, um, Podbean actually allows for that sort of thing. As far as I understand, you know, as far as I understand it, as to where other, uh, podcast platforms that I've used in the past, uh, did not do well with inline pictures in show notes, but I think in this case, uh, it might work, but take a good look. I mean, it looks like, well, you heard them talk about in the audio, it looks like a fucking ring of fire. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, you can almost hear Johnny Cash singing, right? But absolutely my hats off to the global event horizon telescope team. I mean, just, a, a an amazing moment in human history. You know, it's just how it is. So 
Anyway, why don't we go from uh, an amazing moment in human history's, uh, well, and, and its exploration of space, to perhaps its future of the exploration of space. And of course, Sovereign Tech is a show all about uh, technology and science uh, and how it can help set you free. And a couple guys out there who think that they are working towards human freedom uh, or towards human flourishing, perhaps. I don't know if they necessarily would argue for freedom. Yeah, probably one of them would. That being Elon Musk. Bezos is a whole other ballgame entirely. But we're more particularly going to talk about Jeff Bezos, though in many ways we're talking about both of them. Um, as I said in, I believe it was last week's episode, we were talking about uh, Amazon's plans for microsatellites uh, to get launched in, you know, thousands of them to be put into space to allow for uh, Internet connectivity uh, across really 95% of habitable planet Earth. And this, well, 90, actually, I guess it, it covered 95% of the Earth, more or less. Uh, this is similar to a plan that Elon Musk had as well to put up a, a I don't know, it was less, but similarly a few thousand uh, uh, microsatellites to deliver internet uh, around the world. And in fact, after that uh, story, a little while after that story came out, um, well, Elon Musk came out on Twitter, or I think it was on Twitter or wherever, whatever stage he happened to use. Okay. And he basically called Jeff Bezos a copycat. He said, oh, you're, you're doing exactly what I already had in mind, blah, blah, blah. Now, last week or in the last episode of Sovereign Tech, um, I had said that I had theorized. I'm like, you know, because Amazon's phrasing for their project, for their satellite Internet project, was that they're willing to work with other partners. And I said, I bet you that Elon Musk and Bezos are, you know, really buddy, buddy, even if they look like they're competing or, you know, any other any kind of other uh, ugly relationship that it might look like they have in public. Um, I honestly still stand by that. I, I still think they're working together. I think this was Musk uh, just doing what what people like maybe expected of him to be his his quote unquote roguish self, you know, uh, which he really isn't a rogue uh, at all. But yeah, I, I, I my my stance on that hasn't changed. Uh, but interestingly, and maybe actually, maybe he was just kind of reacting to something that Bezos had said previously, because here's a story from earlier in March uh, of 2019 that a Sovereign Tech listener sent in to me after I did the story about the, uh, you know, about the satellite internet uh, that Amazon was planning on. But this is one that got sent in to me that has, uh, well, even, even broader ramifications for Bezos's plans for outer space. And folks, you know, like it or not, uh, I mean, and, and personally, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> like if I, if I want to be going into space, I want it being done through private industry, not through, uh, you know, NASA and government programs, even though those haven't exactly fallen away. Uh, I believe we've talked about or mentioned in the past, uh, was it, uh, vice president Mike Pence was saying that, oh no, we need to get humans, you know, on the moon by 2024 or something like that. And of course, George Bush, uh, George W. Bush asshat had previously said, uh, that was it by 2020 that he wanted, uh, you know, at humans back on the moon, uh, that would appear to not be happening, <laughs> but, uh, you know, who knows if the 2024 date will end up being a thing. Uh, but really the people that are actually going to make it happen, or at least are trying, uh, is private industry. And at the head of that certainly is Bezos's blue origin. And then Elon Musk's, uh, SpaceX with various victories, minor or otherwise, uh, that they have achieved over the past few years, uh, to make this a reality. So when these guys talk, 
talk about going to space, look, they're the ones that are making it happen. So it's worthwhile to listen to them. Uh, do I agree with them a hundred percent on most things? Uh, certainly not Musk and certainly not Bezos, but when they talk, you know, this is, these are the guys that are actually forwarding this entire concept of humanity really becoming a multi, uh, multi-planetary, uh, species, which I think we are meant to be. And well, so Musk, of course, has talked very heavily about going to Mars. Bezos, well, he came out swinging in March of this year, and that's the story we're going to cover here. And there's really a lot to break down about this. So uh, let's talk about it. Hey, look, anytime I, I'm a science fiction fan, uh, I'm a Star Trek fan, I'm, you know, I want to get into space personally, because I think when you get into space, that's when you really get away from a lot of the authoritarian structures that you don't have. You don't get to choose you know, that you're forced into on planet earth. And so to go into space, you know, you can finally get away from these fuckers, right? So I'm all for it. Uh, so anyway, I, I have interest in this. I have stake, you know, in, in making this as a reality, which is why I want to talk about it, because also I might have concerns around the people that are trying to make this happen and what they're, what they're concluding. But here is Bezos's response to the concept really that, that Musk is affording of going to Mars or that even others, uh, Bigelow and some others, I think are talking heavy about going to Mars and so on. So anyway, let's, let's read what it is. It's from CNBC, uh, Jeff Bezos, forget Mars. Humans will live in these free floating space pod colonies. Uh, All right. So let's read it. Richest man alive. Jeff Bezos says Mars is not a place humans would be comfortable living. Quote, my friends who want to move to Mars, I say, it's hilarious. Bezos is sounding, what is he, Caesar? (laughs) Well, you might feel like he is. Anyway, my friends who want to move to Mars, I say, do me a favor. Go live on the top of Mount Everest for a year first and see if you like it because it's a garden paradise compared to Mars and quote Bezos Bezos said at the Yale club in New York city in February, according to a business insider transcript, that is not to say that Bezos who founded Amazon and aerospace company blue origin is not interested in sending regular people to space. Bezos says moving to space will become necessary as the population is expanding and earth's resources are finite. Eventually uh, an, an earthbound population would face population control and energy rationing. Uh, Bezos said quote that to me, seems like a pretty bleak world. We don't have to have that. Uh, end quote. Bezos said there are currently over 7.6 billion people on earth, but as space becomes a viable place for humans to live, the solar system has enough resources to support 1 trillion humans. Bezos said, quote, then we'd have a thousand Mozarts and a thousand Einsteins. Think how incredible and dynamic that civilization will be. End quote. Um, so anyway, all right, I want to stop there for a second because this population problem is one that's been bantied about and talked about for decades, for a very, very long time by people, you know, in industry, by governments, by, uh, you know, also science fiction writers. I mean, you could think of Asimov where you can, uh, actually we played some recent audio uh, by Asimov, where if you listen to the entirety of the audio, you kind of hear him talk about that, the concerns around that. Um, of course, you know, uh, well, Asimov would come out and say that pretty much the earth is going to turn into a gigantic city, something like Trantor, uh, in, uh, you know, in his foundation series or, uh, or it would end up like Coruscant, right. In star Wars, something like that. Uh, well, anyway, I, I don't really care for that concept myself, but you know, this, this comes around this idea that, wow, you know, there's, there's, there's too many people. The earth can't handle the amount of people, uh, that are here. Now, the only thing I'm going to say on that, okay, is 
obviously I'm an anarchist. I do not support any kind of like depopulation program or regulation or anything like that. I don't fuck it. Okay. Um, do I necessarily agree that humanity is going to, you know, like that, that at 7.6 billion and look, I mean, that number is growing. Like I remember just a decade ago, what was it like? It wasn't even 7 billion at that point. It was only what? 6.7, 6.8. I mean, that's, this is pretty exponential growth we're talking about here. Okay. Um, however, do I agree with like the, you know, you get a lot of free marketeers who want to say, oh, don't worry. Just like everything else, just like we found out what to do with bat guano you know, to solve this problem, we'll figure out a way to, uh, you, you know, to, to, to allow for all these people to live on earth and for the population to basically endlessly grow. Uh, no, like you've, you can't, the market can do incredible things. There's no question about that, but you cannot talk about such a serious problem that could potentially threaten, you know, our, the only home we have in, in the, you know, in the universe right now. And that we know for sure can be a home to, to humans, uh, or that is, that is uh, friendly, shall we say, uh, in the grand scheme to humans. I, I cannot just rely upon, well, the market will solve it. You know, I mean, you might as well just say to me, well, God will fix it. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. You got to give me an answer. Okay. You got to give me something. And I don't need, like, I don't expect an answer from just one person, but at the very least I need a team of people to give me an actual fucking answer. And turning the earth into one giant city, uh, is not that that's in my opinion, that's not viable, uh, to me. And Bezos is kind of responding to that. Okay. Now what I could see happen. All right. And again, but this is not something I'm exactly comfortable with. You know, I mean, the real answer, I kind of agree. I'm not necessarily agreeing with Bezos that, that this is a, you know, this problem is on the scale that he's describing about population. Okay. But I do agree with his answer that getting us to the stars, getting us, you know, colonizing the solar system is a much, you know, I mean, that's something that can actually be done. And yes, it can. Like we already have, we've, we've developed at the very least theoretically, uh, you know, to, to where we know they would work. I mean, or we've even tested some of the technologies you think of like Freeman Dyson's project Orion, uh, and, and some others. Okay. Where we could do this. It's not that, that that's really not up to debate whether, whether or not it's possible to start colonizing, um, the solar system. You most certainly can. But I think another possibility of the population boom is, or, you know, how that can be quote unquote solved. If it's something that needs to be solved and keyword there, if, um, is that, well, really, I, and, and there is, there's research to back this up as to where whatever the supposed market solution is, that's going to solve this does not have any actual like, like data behind it. This does is that honestly, as people become, uh, more affluent, um, that they, you know, over time that they will, you know, they don't have as many children. Uh, because maybe they're trying to live their own lives or whatever, you know, whatever are the, the factors behind that. Um, but there's a lot of data to suggest that. So, um, you know, arguably as, you know, more and more of the world becomes interconnected technologically and gets access to higher tech uh, and perhaps access to more wealth, thanks to, you know, cryptocurrencies and things like this, that perhaps naturally uh, you know, humans will have less kids and, and, you know, kind of the numbers will even out. Okay. But that's a psychological solution. I mean, it's kind of a market solution in the sense that, you know, that the 
the market bears out the tech and, you know, cryptocurrencies and things like this. Sure. But that has a lot more to it. And that has that that's like a genuine possible uh, future that we could be looking at. Okay. But ultimately, you know, going to space to, you know, to make more room for people or for you to have your, I mean, look, I'd be totally down for in the prime asteroid belt, give me, you know, my private, you know, resort on one of those asteroids. I would love nothing less. So you want to do it anyway, you know, just so, just so if you really wanted to spread out so much, you know, or have so much, uh, I don't know, have your giant glass domes or something like that that you want to live in almost like something out of Logan's run. You want to do that kind of action. I mean, well, well, not all of Logan's run, right? We don't, we want to live past 30, but <laughs> renew. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Yeah, it's a good idea to spread out into the solar system. So even though those of us that are alive, whether there's a population problem or not, uh, you know, can can do all the beautiful things that our minds can imagine. Now, to continue on with the story, Bezos has a, a thought, though, and he doesn't think, unlike Musk, who thinks that we'll end up uh, living on Mars, he doesn't think again, he's saying, like, look, you know, go go live on Mount Everest for a year tell me you like that. If you like, I mean, because that's a paradise compared to living on Mars. And I get his point. I, I understand what he's saying. Uh, but anyway, here, here's reading out of the story. However, said Bezos quote, I don't think we'll live on planets End quote. Instead, he envisions humans living in self-sufficient space structures like those designed by Princeton, uh, Princeton physics professor, Gerard O'Neill. Uh, and there's like some pictures you can find the link in the show notes for this of, uh, of Gerard O'Neill's, uh, you know, what his stations and, you know, what these space habitats look like. Now, these are old ideas. This is from Gerard O'Neill, like wrote some very popular books back in the seventies that would lay out a lot of these. And they were very technically sound. I mean, it's not, this isn't just science fiction fan, you know, science fiction, uh, wet dreams here. Okay. These were well thought out, you know, scientifically, uh, shall we say verified, um, habitats that people could, you know, could eventually one day build. I mean, they're huge, but that people could one day build, um, this smacks very much. And again, points at, I I've told you, look, Bezos first and foremost, it's the reason he started Amazon. It's probably the reason they do that. He bought out audible is first and foremost. He is a science fiction fan. One of the earliest pictures you can find of him from back in the nineties where he's working with Amazon, he's holding a, a book by Alfred Bester, one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time. All right. He, he gets this. Okay. And what he does science fiction wise, what he's into science fiction wise, and what he talks about science fiction wise, I think is representative of what he is trying to build. For example, um, and I've brought this point up many times, who is the company that is making the culture series of books into an actual uh, television series? Okay. And who is the guy that actually tweeted about it, that he was so proud that he was bringing the, uh, you know, uh, Ian Banks culture series to life, Jeff Bezos on Amazon prime and Jeff Bezos specifically tweeted about it. He doesn't tweet about every show that, that Amazon prime is, is putting out, but he tweeted about that. Of course, he also, well, made a big deal out of having Babylon five on his network, but that's another story entirely. So anyway, the culture series by Ian Banks, of course, is the most popular anarchist work of science fiction. And it is about a future where basically AI is kind of running everything for humans, but humans are living in these giant space habitats. And it's this wildly hedonistic anarchist future. Sounds wonderful to me. And I'm not kidding. Uh, I mean, cause I am absolutely a hedonist and essentialist all the way. Uh, and I'm certainly an anarchist. So, you know, that, that, that fits my 
bill. Like I'm, I'm game for that sort of, uh, that sort of thing. Now, Ian Banks would say that, yeah, you know, actually, I mean, he would go pretty deep into what he thinks that living in space would actually be like, uh, which that part might trouble some people who even themselves would identify as anarchists because he would say that living in space, the harshness of space, even if you make these amazing space habitats to, to live on, um, lends itself to a socialist mindset because you become absolutely interdependent upon the other people that are living in the space habitat with you. So that might bother some people. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying that Ian, Ian Banks might even be wrong, uh, but that might bother some of my listeners. Regardless, I'm sure Bezos is very, very much aware of that. Anyway, let me read on a little bit here. Uh, O'Neill's space settlements include two cylinders, each 20 miles long and four miles in diameter, according to the National Space Society. Below are, anyway, there's some more pictures of it. Uh, quote, the space colonies will build will have many advantages. The primary one is that they'll be close to Earth. The transit time and the amount of energy required to move between planets is so high, end quote, Bezos said. Quote, ultimately what will happen is this planet, he's talking about Earth, will be zoned residential and light industry. We'll have universities here and so on, but we won't do heavy industry here. Why would we? This is the gem of the solar system. Why would we do heavy industry here? It's nonsense. End quote. Now I'm going to kind of agree with, with, or I, I mean, I don't agree with what he wants to do. Like if you're talking about zoning things, that's laying out laws and all that stuff and fuck laws. Okay. But I, I get what he's trying to say. And in fact, he's often quoted as saying, we go to space to save the earth. This is really what he means by that is that we can go, we can take a lot of the, what he considers the ugly industry that's done on earth. Okay. Put that into space, which other people have talked about that. Like you actually want greenhouse gases and all and you want, you know, whatever people want to label as climate change and all this. Look, I, I know, I know some of my listeners think all this shit's really specious in the first place, but regardless, you want these effects to actually happen on say a place like Mars, right? So go ahead and have all the heavy industry in the world on Mars. Um, now this is where he's not really following Ian Banks's culture series because sure they have space habitats in the culture series, but part of the reason they have space habitats is so that the humans of the future don't interfere with anything that happens on any other planet, any other planetoid, and they don't interfere with the natural evolution of say life that could happen on one of these worlds. So he's not really following that because he's talking about dropping off. Well, he's not saying doing heavy industry on other planets, but he is talking about doing heavy industry in space that runs into its own issues. Um, anyway, this is what he's, he's very much getting at is that like leave earth as kind of this, this, this planetary resort. Okay. Where you just do all the beautiful things and you allow nature to thrive here and all this, and then just do all the ugly shit that allows our technologies to be what they are. Do all that out in space, do that elsewhere. Now he's saying Mars isn't going to really work and you're going to want to live into and live in these self-sustained habitats. Grant you Elon Musk, when he's talking about living on Mars and Elon Musk also, let's be clear here, claims to be an anarchist who in the Ian Banks referencing the culture series vain. That's exactly what he said in a tweet. He says, I'm an anarchist in the Ian Banks utopian sense. All right. Now he's talking about going to Mars and terraforming it, like turning it into something else. Clearly he also completely fucked up whatever Ian Banks was you know, saying about how living in space habitats allows you to, or living in space allows you to not interfere with the natural evolution uh, of other planetary bodies or celestial bodies of, uh, you know, of any type, uh, really. So, 
Bezos's plan of living in, you know, again, self-sustaining space habitats, I don't think he's exactly wrong. I'm not going to agree necessarily with all of his conclusions as to, or all the reasons that he, he thinks why we should do that sort of thing. I mean, I think we should just do it just so that we can actually flourish as human beings. And I don't mean because of population and I don't mean because necessarily of environmental concerns, uh, though certainly I urge, I say ecological concerns, because those are real. Environmentalism is, well, that's a bit of a religion, I dare say. But anyway, ecology is, you know, that's a very real thing. And there are genuine ecological concerns to have. um, And I share those, but not even for those reasons simply for the concept of human freedom, of humans being able to live the way that they want to live. That is the main reason that I am so supportive of getting into space and having self-sustaining uh, you know, space stations. Now, I would also add, though, is that both Musk and Bezos are actually, they're, they're missing the real alternative um, that I think is far more viable, that I think is far less risky than Mars, you know, terraforming Mars anyway, or space habitats. And that is balloon cities on Venus. I'm not kidding. Uh, we talked about these years ago. Um, and these have been theorized for a while because when you get high enough, when you get above the, cl- you know, much of the cloud layer of Venus, it's basically like, a you know, it's like living on, living in Florida. Okay. But you would have these cities that would float you know, above that part of the cloud layer on Venus. And I mean, but you've got atmosphere, you've got protection from the sun. Sure. It's hot, but that's in this sense, that's a hell of a lot better than the cold of space or perhaps the cold of Mars, because that the temperature on Venus is at least bearable, you know, and somewhat comparable to what humans may experience on certain parts of Earth. So in some ways, both Bezos and Musk and their plans of where humans are going to inhabit, uh, you know, the solar system and become a multi, uh, you know, multi-planet species, which, again, like I said, I think we are meant to do, uh, you know, while they're both right They're also in many ways both wrong and they're really missing a very golden opportunity uh, with Venus. In fact, I almost find that a little strange that that they're missing that one, you know, that that they're they're kind of avoiding that. In fact, I even um, I do fictional episodes of Sovereign Tech every once in a while, every few years. And my very first one that I ever did was called Sovereign Tech 2099. And in that I had, you know, a. an actual colony on Venus. I mean, so that's how long this idea has been around. Uh, anyway, you can see where their ultimate plans, Bezos and Musk, where they're really going. Of course, Musk wants to go to Mars and have his direct democracy there and everything. And then Bezos wants everybody living in self-sustaining habitats, which allows for, I mean, look, I appreciate his optimism and I love the idea that he's like, Hey, you know, the more humans there are, the more chances we have of Mozart's and Einstein's. That's beautiful. You know, I really, really appreciate that, that optimism from him. Um, and I think he genuinely, I personally, I think he believes that, you know, I, I really, really do. Uh, I mean, let's be clear here. He's not arguing for any kind of, you know, depopulation he's arguing for. No, let's just give the population room to grow. And so that we can have more of this beautiful expression, uh, you know, of the human condition and of human art, which is, you know, at the core of the human condition, I think, um, I mean, from cave paintings to the pyramids, to, well, self-sustaining space habitats, quite frankly. I mean, that's an art in itself. Just look at the work of Gerard O'Neill. Um, you know, I, I really do appreciate that. Uh, but I do worry, you know, like kind of the reasons and perhaps the regulatory environments and a lot of the other horseshit um, that would get pushed on us, honestly, by both Musk and Bezos uh, to get us to that point. Um, there's an argument to be made. 
and I've heard this from fellow anarchists. I've heard this from a lot of people. There's an argument to be made that whatever it takes to get us to outer space, it, this is, you know, they would say the otherwise very principled people would say, this is the one thing, the one goal where the ends do justify the means. I don't agree with that, but I understand where some people, you know, I mean, I get why they think that way because, is there anything worse? You know, I mean, all it takes is one asteroid, right? Just like the Alvarez hypothesis, what wiped out the dinosaurs, right? It was one asteroid. And really it was the fact that the dinosaurs didn't have a good enough space program or, well, I guess they didn't have one at all, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> talk to some people at Harvard. They might tell you that might be different. They might've had some kind of a space program. We just don't know because it's so long ago, but Oh boy, I'm, I'm getting way out there. But bottom line being is that they didn't have a proper space program and that's what killed them off. You know, once that asteroid hit. And so you could say there's nothing you could make the argument. There's nothing more important than us, than humanity becoming a multi-planetary species to make sure that the species can go on. And I at least applaud that there are attempts being made by private industry, but I don't know. I worry about, again, I worry about the reasoning. I worry about what they have in mind, but if they can, you know, set it up to where there there's, you know, if we end up with self-sustaining space habitats and people can call their shot about how those things are run, I suppose in the end, it'll be okay. But just to, I think it's good to get a preview of where these, the, all the end games of what these guys are, are thinking where they want all of this to go. Um, and am I, so if you're going to ask me stallion, you know, cause this got sent in to be by a listener, you know, are you more in line with Musk's visions or Bezos in this case? I think I'm more in line with, with Bezos where it's going to be these space habitats. And even from, you know, I, I, I get where Ian Banks, I mean, I'm a big fan of the culture series. I get where Ian Banks is coming from that, you know, do you even have like the right and there aren't rights, but you get my point. Do you even have the right to terraform Mars, you know, to interfere with the, you know, the natural progression of these things, uh, that becomes, you know, when a species gets to a higher level of consciousness, when they get to a higher level of sapience as humanity is, well, at least some of us are working on, I think, um, it because you know, the rules kind of change and it becomes a question, should I interfere, you know, and living in space habitats, I mean, you know, a space habitat could, I suppose could still get in the way of, uh, you know, space whales from becoming a thing, uh, just like, you know, vegans still step on ants. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're always going to have something, but is it, does it behoove you? Is it the, is the ethical answer to not interfere with the evolution of, of, you know, life on celestial bodies by terraforming and doing, and, you know, setting up habitats and all these other things. These are the big questions that as some of these, uh, you know, futures that are being laid out by say Bezos, Musk and others, or that are at least planned as these become more of a reality. And as I said, I said throughout 2018 and into some of 2017, I had said, that we're probably a decade out from human regular, you know, everyday people being in space. We're getting that close. These are the questions we have to start asking. These are the philosophical, uh, uh, cruxes that I think we need to start exploring because it's getting closer and people are, I mean, this isn't, this isn't NASA planning the shit. You know, you're not listening to three stage rockets from Werner von Braun here. These are people with the money, the resources to really make it happen. And so I think it's time to start asking all of that. We'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo!
Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out blocktap.io. Blocktap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. Blocktap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at blocktap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. It is time for HackSec, where we talk issues of hacking and security. But, you know, let me tell you, you got to please frequent the sponsors of this show. Okay. You know, go check out what what they're offering because who, you know, what other more independent voice. Look, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know anybody. (laughs) I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. Okay. I wish there were more. You know, I mean, talk about an independent voice. I think you'd agree with me that Sovereign Tech is one of the very rare, truly independent voices out there. I know there's more. There's plenty out there. You know, there are they are out there. But you got to admit that this is one of the, you know, where very, very unique information gets out there. And I thank the sponsors so much for, uh, you know, for sponsoring the show. Uh, another one you should check out. In fact, if you want to talk about what the future of life would be like, uh, you know, perhaps in outer space, will we be on Mars? Will we be in uh, self-sufficient space habitats? But, uh, you know, or will we end up on Venus um, or will we end up outside of the solar system? I don't necessarily agree with that, though I have been presented with some interesting theories as to how we could actually leave the solar system. I'll have to talk about those in a future uh, Sovereign Tech. But if you want to talk about all this stuff, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go to freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live is a, well, it's a radio show, nationally syndicated, number 27 talk show in the country. Okay. And it's open phones. You can call in. There's there's pretty much almost no filter on there. You can call in. You can talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. It runs seven nights a week, three hours a night, three hours. Can you believe that? <laughs> three hours a night, seven nights a week. You get uh, all, you know, hosts and great co-hosts and everything. It's just, it's a tremendous time. Uh, it's a lot of fun to listen to, but a lot of times it gets very serious and very informative. Uh, so if you want, you know, go to freetalklive.com, check it out, get listening to them, call into the show and talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. Again, number 27 talk show in the United States. How can you beat that? Go check it out. Freetalklive.com. And I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. So, okay. Uh, April 11th, just this past Thursday in London at the Ecuadorian embassy, uh, honestly, something that was a, a disturbing sight in many ways. Um, Julian Assange asshole. I, I don't mind saying that at all. We, we've been very critical, uh, of Julian Assange on this, uh, you know, on the show in the past, I recognize his history in a community that I also have a long history with that being the cypherpunk community. I recognize that I recognize a lot of the things that he has done, um, that there has been, you know, I mean, this is a Pulitzer, uh, Pulitzer prize winning journalist here. I recognize all of that regardless. I still think he's an asshole. Uh, I, I, I think he has, uh, become bed buddies with, or, you know, he has, shall we say strange bedfellows. How about that? 
um, that I, I don't think anybody should be associating with. Uh, I have very, some of his opinions I think are ridiculous. Um, I don't like Julian Assange. However, I don't like the government. And he uh, was arrested and pulled out of, and the, in fact, the Ecuadorian ambassador was basically waving in the police. You can see the video. Strange video too. I mean, like he looked, it's funny. Cause I think he's only, he's only like in his forties. He's like 47 or something. He looked like he was 60 something. I mean, he had like this beard, the hair was, I mean, and they knew I, WikiLeaks was reporting ahead of time that this arrest was going to happen. So they knew it was going to happen. So, you know, don't, don't kid yourself while it's a disturbing video, in my opinion, to see, you know, you think you get diplomatic immunity, right? Oh, I guess that only goes so far. I mean, and one of the biggest takeaways from this arrest is that, you know, you're, you're never safe from the U S government. Right. In fact, you know, I get a lot of people that they, you know, they email me. They're like, wow, Brian, like, you know, you don't know, you don't like America, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you leave? Because I'm more terrified. I'm more concerned about America's foreign policy than I am their domestic policy. That's why. And this is one of those cases. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't get away, you know, and, and you could, you can claim to get some kind of, I mean, granted the, uh, you know, the Ecuadorian uh, embassy was, was getting tired, I guess, of, 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 uh, you know, Assange's shenanigans for a while. Like they cut off his internet access last year, if I remember correctly. Um, but you know, to see the guy just like waving him in, like, yeah, get this guy out of here, blah, blah, blah. That, that was, that was pretty troublesome, but don't kid yourself. I'm sure that Assange, Assange knew this was coming and he staged it, you know, to make it look a bit rougher. I'm again, it's not, I'm not saying it's even right. Okay. Uh, but there it is. So, uh, he was, how he ended up getting, uh, basically extradited, uh, was not because of say, you know, the various leaks of data and a lot of these other things that he had, but it was basically, it was more around a conspiracy to hack a government computer, which gets, I think that falls under the computer fraud and abuse act. And that's, that's what he is finally getting arrested and extradited for. Uh, that's, that's what's being held against him. Now, Chelsea Manning, she recently was also arrested and there is some question as to whether or not these arrests are linked in some way. I don't have, uh, we don't have enough data to say that it is interesting that the arrests happen pretty close to each other. And this may be some larger, uh, ordeal going on here. Um, but the, you know, I don't need to spend a ton of time on this. Okay. I am just going to say that yes, Julian Assange is an asshole. I think frankly, he's a piece of shit human being. And I would gladly say that to his face, uh, because I am afraid of no one, uh, not, a, not a person anyway, you know, drones from two miles away. That's might be a little bit of a different story, but, but I'm afraid of no person. I'd be happy to tell him this, you know, right to his face. But at the same time, does he need to get locked away, you know, in, in, in a, you know, in prison for this sort of thing? Does he need to go through the ringer uh, over all of this? Not by any government. That's for damn sure. And it's terrifying that someone that was doing really, you know, journalism that needs to be done. Look, I'll, I'll call this. I know that this is going to be controversial perhaps of me to say, not surprising, but controversial for me to say, but to do actual journalism, to report on things that are important to the every to to every individual on planet Earth today, um, yeah, you know, you got to hack into some government computers. Let's just call it. I mean, like to to find out the stuff that's really going on, because sure as fuck, Fox News, CNN, you know, list them off. 
they're not, they're not doing actual journalism. They're, they're just, I mean, hell, just look at their, look at their ads. You know, I mean, you, you got Northrop Grumman and everything doing ads for CNN. You think Northrop Grumman's going to give them, uh, give them ad dollars if they talk about what the fucking war machine's really doing out there? Oh, give me a break. So real journalism is being done and this guy's getting, I mean, even though technically it's not for that, it, it really it is. And, and, and he's getting a locked away for it. Uh, and that's not right. Um, I'm not going to like be hashtag stand with Julian Assange or anything like that, but I'm sure as fuck going to say that this is, this is terribly unethical. And this is really, I I've brought this up before in the past with other people, other high profile arrests that have happened where these people are used as they are made examples of, okay. They are, I mean, they're, they're not exactly, I wouldn't call them martyrs because I mean, people might take up the charge after these things happen, you know, to, to certain individuals. Okay. But these are, they are being made example of to try and scare anyone else into revealing what they revealed doing the kind of journalism that they did, uh, or, you know, letting people know about the truths and the horrendous things that, uh, the U S government and, uh, maybe even, you know, certainly other governments around the world, um, are engaging in. Okay. Or, uh, I'm sure Google is feeling very happy right now because Julian Assange wrote a whole book about how Google and the U S government are in cahoots. You know, they have an open door policy and they're quite supportive of each other. Of course, that's not a surprising thing to talk about in sovereign tech. That's corporatism. We know that that's the, that's reality. I mean, you want to skewer Julian Assange, skewer him for how he's treated women, skewer him for, you know, some of the really, really shitty people that he's associated or, you know, for associating with those people, taking money from uh, very, very ugly characters, skewer him for whatever his opinions and things like this. If you, if you really want to do that. Okay. Do not skewer him. Do not lock him away for doing journalism and for trying to reveal the truth of what, you know, these authoritarian institutions are doing to you and I and what they're doing to even worse to people all around the world. No way. So I'm not going to say hashtag stand with Julian Assange, but this is wrong and it is a terrifying prospect for any journalist uh, because this can happen to any one of us. So just putting that out there and that's all there is really to say on that. I will be keeping an eye on, uh, this story and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's scary, but at the same time, you know, I think you have to, I mean, let's be clear here as scary as it is. I think you have to be at that high profile level to where they even want to take that kind of action because they don't want people like Julian Assange to be seen as a hero or Chelsea Manning to, who is a genuine hero, you know, to be seen as a hero. Uh, they don't, they don't want that, you know, the, these characters being out there and, you know, getting their, you know, having their voice heard. So while, even though I think it only happens to, you know, the very high profile cases or, you know, they, they pick, they kind of eeny, meeny, miny, mo who they want to go after for this sort of stuff. Um, at the same time, you know, it is. And so, you know, you're likely not going to get arrested for, I mean, because I've said so much anti-government stuff and, uh, you know, I've never like revealed classified information or anything on the show, but at the same time, it is terrifying that if you are engaging in genuine journalism, that this can happen to you. So I don't want you, you know, and again, maybe the most important takeaway here is don't think that somehow there is something within the legal system that's going to protect you from getting locked away. If the powers that be want you to get locked away. Uh, there is no immunity. There is, you know, none, it, it, it's just not, it's not so. 
Okay. So get that out of your head. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, I hate, I hate to say it. I hate to use such a, such a you know crazy bit of business to drive that point home. Um, but this is why really get the idea of trying to solve things through the legislative, through the legal, you know, through the legal system, get that out of your head. If you think that's ever going to save you for the activism that you're doing, it's not. We'll be back with more. In 2014, he ran from Miami to San Francisco, raising awareness for Bitcoin and the homeless epidemic in America. And now he's doing it again. Blockchain evangelist and advocate for homeless rights, Jason King, is running across North America right now, from Miami to Santa Monica, right now. Five years later, his commitment to promoting blockchain technology and fighting the homeless epidemic in America is stronger than ever. And you can help Jason now by going to blockchainacrossamerica.com. While you're there, donate to Satoshi Forest Sanctuary Incorporated to help the homeless, along with all kinds of other ways you can help. Get involved today. BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. That's BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. This week's online review. You know, it is time for this week's online review where uh, I scour the internet. Not skewer like Assange. I scour the internet uh, to find, well, <laughs> the most amazing products. And I guess really to double down <laughs> on, on, a, on a controversial episode of Sovereign Tech. Um, on uh, Amazon, the everything store, kind of fitting to, and we're actually, we're going we're gonna to end off the show with this, um, kind of fitting to, to, to end it off with Amazon because it began with Amazon in a very real way. Um, on Amazon at the everything store, you can buy uranium ore. Look at that. I, I was a poet and I didn't know it. <laughs> For the low, low price. The low, low price of forty dollars, you get this nice little canister of uranium ore. <laughs> let's see. Product features are, or here we go. Product description. Let's read this. Uh, the ore sample is naturally occurring radioactive materials. Norm. No chemical or spectral analysis is performed on the radioactive ore sample. So the source of the ore's radioactivity is not determined. It may be any of or any number of radioactive elements such as uranium, thorium, and potassium, and any of their decay products such as radium and radon. <laughs> Counts per minute uh, activity rate listed on the label is determined using a GCA07W digital Geiger counter that has an NRC certification. Activity levels include all radio radiation types, alpha, beta, and gamma. Uranium ore samples are useful for testing Geiger counters. <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> Let's let's get into the reviews, Shelley. Yeah, actually, before we get into the reviews about the uranium ore that you can buy on Amazon, uh, <laughs> I can't. the everything store. You know, I mean, I guess it's, you're going to need this. You want to get into outer space? It's going to be a thing. So, <laughs> I was going to talk about originally during HackSec. I wanted to get into the Julian Assange thing and just you know again drive the points home. Look, Julian Assange is an asshole. That doesn't mean what's happening to him is right. Uh, also, that don't count on diplomatic um, uh, you know, immunity. Don't count on the legislative system to save you in any fucking way. And and really, I mean, the, even the more tragic thing is that Chelsea Manning is back in jail. What in the goddamn, or back in prison, what in the goddamn fuck? Um, but, you, you know, regardless of all that, the original thing I was going to talk about is how Facebook admitted that they had employees sending out uh, or making requests of users for their email password. 
Like whatever email you use to log into Facebook, they wanted the password for that. They admitted that they were doing this. Holy shit. Or hell, I could have also talked about how uh, Amazon has thousands of employees that are consistently on a consistent basis. They are listening to everything. I mean, they want to say it's little cuts or whatever, but they are listening to your echo data, your voice, the voice, what you say and what, what, what the Amazon echo ever picks up. They are listening to it. You have people that you have to trust that Amazon hires. Uh, if you have at any given moment, and I've even looked into this. Okay. If you have ever tried going through the hiring process at Amazon and you could say, well, but you know, those people have, a, it's a much higher bar for them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, I, cause it can't be a higher bar than what it takes to get hired into, you know, hired by the NSA. And we know that the NSA was passing around nudie pictures that they collected through whatever quote unquote surveillance. I put that in quotes that they were doing to protect Americans. No, like no one should be trusted with this, this kind of stuff. Nobody should be trusted. No human being on planet earth, unless you know them and you spent years with them in your life should be trusted with listening to private shit or, you know, because, because echo picks up a lot of accidental stuff in your home. They just shouldn't straight up. I don't know why that's not common fucking sense and why everybody didn't toss out the echo. As soon as that story came out, I was going to talk about that as well, but we didn't get into that, but you got a little bit of it here. Okay. So you're getting a little bit of extra stories here, but no, instead we're going <laughs> to, we're going to review some uranium ore on Amazon. <laughs> I mean, can you picture that? Hey, echo. Order me some uranium or, or what do you say? Alexa, you don't, well, you can program it to, to, to any name now, right? So it could be echo or it could be computer or something like that. Hey, Alexa, order uranium or, <laughs> uh, anyway, let, let's, uh, <laughs> let's get into at least a couple of these reviews as we wrap up the show. Here we go. This review is from, uh, May 14th, 2009. So, uh, Amazon's been selling uranium ore for a while and it's <laughs> a great product, poor packaging. I purchased this product 4.47 billion years ago. And when I opened it today, it was half empty. <laughs> of course, that's a that's science joke, folks. <laughs> that's a damn funny one too. Uh, let's see. Um, I, here, here's another five-star review from August of 2014. I left this product next to my pet lizard. So here it is. I left this product next to my pet lizard. Unfortunately, now he's 350 feet tall, uh, 350 feet tall now, and is currently destroying Tokyo, Japan. <laughs> Godzilla, you know, hey, it's a thing. <laughs> Just not Godzuki. For fuck's sake, don't look at Godzuki. <laughs> I hope your pet lizard didn't turn into that. Oh. Anyway, uh, here's another one from August of 2014. Um, who steals my lunch? This is the title five-star review, but well, let's see what creative, I mean, cause it's meant for calibrating, you know, Geiger counters. Uh, but let's, uh, let, let's see what was used for here, uh, by, uh, Adele Yatiz, um, relabeled it liverwurst, meaning the little can that this uranium ore comes in, relabeled it liverwurst and left it in the break room fridge. Of course it was gone the next day turned off the lights in our office. And as expected, Peter from accounting was the only one glowing in the dark. No wonder he never brought lunch to work. So here you go. If I mean, yeah, you can recalibrate Geiger counters, but if you want to find out who the hell is stealing your lunch at work, just relabel it liverwurst and you'll find out exactly who's been, who's been taking it this whole time. It was Peter in accounting for fuck's sake. <laughs> hey, let's see if we can find another one quick. 
Here's another, this is another five-star review. A lot of five-star reviews. This must be great uranium ore. Uh, let's see, perfect rose food. So mix this in with uh, rose fertilizer and have blooms nearly one foot in diameter. Drawback, drawback is I can't cut them as they growl at me whenever I get near them with the scissors. And they've eaten several small birds and a stray kitten. Oh no, don't hurt the cats. Oh, the poor kitties. I love the cats. Uh, anyway... <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to wrap this one up. <laughs> so, geez. you know, if, if you find a great product, you can, of course, email me bbs at sovereigntech.com and, uh, you know, and, and, and I'll, maybe I'll read the review, um, on the show, but, uh, yeah, so much to talk about in this episode and so much to talk about all over the place. That's why now we have the network Zomia one. And if you didn't catch it, the hard and fast podcast, two episodes deep already with many more to come, uh, interviews, reviews from the heavy metal and hard rock scene. Uh, this is a, it's a dynamite show having so much fun recording that do check that out. The hard and fast podcast. And it's got me and who knows who's going to show up in the future. It's going to, it's a great time. So anyway, that's it. Join the Zomi one underground. If you want to access to even more content, thousands of hours of exclusive patron content by joint just go to zomia1.com you can look on the left hand side and you'll see where you can join there's a lot of different levels but you'll see where you can join the zomia one underground get access to the wednesday q a's uh get access to user podcasts so many so much exclusive stuff only when you become a member of the zomia one underground so do that and uh whoop, that'll wrap it up for this week i will see all of you on the other side you just experienced sovereign tech Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. Can you get enough of the mana tomorrow? I didn't think so. Well, now you're going to get even more, along with some of the hottest hosts and podcasts around, because now Sovereign Tech has become an entire network. Woo! Zomia One, the most rebellious podcast network in the galaxy, with bleeding edge shows covering science, technology, and even pop culture. Podcasts like Sovereign Trek, bringing you the latest and greatest in everything Star Trek. TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast where the man of tomorrow and Robin Freebeard talk Star Wars like no other show out there. The Hard and Fast podcast where metal is king and the latest album reviews and interviews with the greatest acts in hard rock and heavy metal happen. And you can even become a member of the Zomia One Underground and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content and shows. And this isn't Patreon, baby. Oh no, this is all happening on the premier podcast platform, Podbean. 
So head over to Zomia1.com. That's Z-O-M-I-A-O-N-E.com. And become a part of the future with Zomia1. And become a member of the Zomia1 Underground. And while you're at it, download the Podbean app on iOS and Android. Be the future. Zomia1.com.